Welcome to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. In this series, we talk with CEOs of the fastest growing companies and discuss the ins and outs of company building in the hypergrowth environment. If you like what you hear, consider following us on SoundCloud or subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Parsis Aljugian, an investor at IVP. And in this podcast, we're lucky to have with us founder and CEO of Supercell, Ilka Pananen. Supercell is a mobile gaming company based in Helsinki, Finland, and is known for its hit titles, Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. According to data, Clash of Clans has grossed over $6 billion in six years since launch, and Clash Royale recently surpassed $2 billion, making Supercell the first mobile publisher to operate two multi-billion dollar franchises. Supercell also has two other titles, Boom Beach and Heyday, and recently announced plans to launch its fifth title, Brawl Stars. The company was founded in 2011, has over 250 employees around the world, and is majority owned by Tencent, and is now worth over $10 billion. In this episode, I discuss with Ilka the company's founding story, the crucial early pivot Supercell made to mobile, the company's very unique decentralized structure, and Ilka's role as CEO, and also the strong international strategy that has allowed Supercell to become a truly global games company reaching over 100 million people every day. So with that, thanks for joining us today, Ilka. Thanks for having me. So to set the stage, it would be helpful to get a bit of your background. You know, how did you first get into gaming initially? And what was that founding story of Supercell? Well, we founded Supercell uh, back in 2010. And there was six of us co-founders. And uh, each of us had been in games for 10 years uh, at that point, like give or take. And, and you know, we had uh, founded companies, sold companies. We had been in mobile games and, and some of us had been in AAA, sort of PC and console games. And, and, and some had been in uh, social games, like games for Facebook and, and so forth. So we had uh, like quite a lot of like a breadth of experience was, was quite a, quite big and, and also like like from different type of types of platforms and business models and so on. Supercell like was founded based on everything like I and we had learned from the previous companies and, and and you know one thing that you know had, had sort of kind of united us was that we had all seen this kind of phenomenon before where a company a games company gets successful uh, and, and 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 is is lucky enough to release a hit game uh, and and then that sort of kicks off this like very uh, quick and, and rapid growth phase and 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 not only in terms of revenue but usually like in terms of headcount and and then what usually happens is that to manage the growth, uh, companies introduce, uh, you know, new layers of management and process and so on. And, and, and they sort of become uh, quite sort of uh, process driven. And our idea was that, uh, that what if you would found a totally different type of company, like one where actually, you know, the leadership wouldn't really play much of a role in, in, in sort of uh, deciding what type of games to do. And there would be very little process and very little layers of management in most companies the vision is held by the leadership team uh, but we, we, we start to ask ourselves that what would happen if actually the vision was held by the game developers themselves and the sort of the game teams would be the ones like running the show and and, and we sort of like uh, start to like think like what would happen if you would turn the traditional organizational pyramid upside down and then that thing led to us like thinking that that actually like uh, like this is such a like new way of, of, of thinking about this that 
maybe maybe we should actually like think about these individual game teams like who would all be like in control of their own destiny maybe we could like think them as almost as them being like their own independent companies within the greater company and then somebody suggested that uh and maybe like instead of calling these game teams teams like what if we called them cells and and then that led to the question that well, what should be called the kind of the entity this collection of cells and then somebody suggested supercell and that's how the company got got started super interesting and i think there's a lot to unpack there just around your your culture and and sort of your role as ceo but even before we get there you know, I, I want to talk about the really early days of the company because you originally launched this business as a you know vision around building a cross-platform company, redefining social games. You'd launched on on Facebook, but you now are you know a very successful mobile gaming company. And I think every company that we meet with seems to go through this period of a mortal existential crisis. And it, maybe it happened early on for Supercell after you launched this game on Facebook because you decided to kill the title and then make this major pivot to mobile. So before we get into the, the cultural aspects, I'd, I'd love to just drill in and take a step back and, and go back in time to understand some of the discussions you had internally around this decision to kill this title and make a major pivot to a new platform, which at the time was fairly unproven for gaming. And Facebook games with Zynga and other companies, it was a platform that was thriving. So Help me understand sort of the discussions you had early on, and and what gave you the conviction to to make this major switch to a new platform. Uh, well, if I if I think about those times, so initially we actually saw quite promising metrics on our first game, Gunshine, but then as we can start to scale the game, unfortunately the metrics didn't scale, and and you know like one of the our dreams uh, in the very beginning was to create these games that people would play for years and years, and 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 you know games that would sort of be remembered forever. From a very early on, we looked up to companies like Nintendo, and and you know, like at, at some point, it was very clear to us that okay, Gunshine is not gonna be that game. Like uh, we we got longevity and the long term retention just wasn't there. Like as you kind of looked at the metrics, so therefore we we kind of decided to kill it. And and the other, and then the reason like what what led us to like focus on mobile is that we. we I mean, our original idea, as you as you mentioned, was to was to create this kind of cross platform kind of game services like so that you could access the game world like through a variety of devices like you know from desktop web and and mobile and tablet and so on but then at, at some point we start to think that actually like uh, that this approach doesn't have focus and 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 they were worried that they actually couldn't create like the best possible experience on any one of these uh, these platforms so maybe they could do games that are sort of okay in each of those platforms that wouldn't be great on any of them uh, and, and at the same time we can start to see the, the kind of first signs of, 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 of mobile and, and tablets especially and, and I remember we sort of uh, we uh, decided to get some iPads to the, to the office and, and, we, and we I guess we like fell in love with a platform and, but the more we played the games on that platform it kind of felt to us that that you know, most of those games weren't really dis- like designed to that platform from the very early on. You know, like they kind of felt a little bit like ports from other platforms. Then we, I, I guess, we kind of decided to make this bet that okay, we actually at the time we start to call iPads the kind of the, the ultimate gaming platform, and then later on we uh, extended that uh, definition to 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 cover smartphones as as well. But we, but but Supercell actually like our initial focus was 
was tablets and, and even called our strategy, I think, tablets first. But very quickly we figured out that, okay, it, it didn't make sense to like call it mobile first. But uh, but yeah, I would say that the, the reason why we, we decided to abon- abandon the cross-platform strategy, it was mostly related to just wanting to be more focused. We, of course, had a small team. And, and then out of all the platforms that they had experience about, it just felt that tablets and, and then later on mobile would be kind of a natural choice. It seems like the, the right decision in hindsight, but I'm sure it was tough at the time. And you probably had disagreements among the team, but also the board. And, and as I think about our audience here, a, a lot of strategic decisions get made early on. And what was the what was the reaction from the board who ultimately made the decision and, and how much power did you have with the team in, in making that you know conviction bet to, to move to a new platform? Well, I, I don't think there was like any single person who, who made that decision. So we, we discussed on this, we first started it with a team like uh, in, in, in Helsinki and, and, and with our core kind of game developers. And, and then the more we talked about it, the more excited we got about it. And then, of course, I at the time I got some early feedback from our board members and uh, and and you know we as a company I just feel that we've been so lucky actually always that in in that we've had a, like really great board members and great boards and great investors and you know that's true also about the early days so uh, back back then the the uh, the lead investor was was Axel and uh, and, they, and they actually had like it, it wasn't that many months ago that they had invested to us in the Series A round and. But we went to the board and, you know, we were really honest about the situation. We told what the situation was and, and, and told what we had talked about within the team and what our proposal was. And, and we wanted to get their feedback on it. And, and I, I think they really loved the idea of like getting more focused. And everybody kind of shared the conviction that, that uh, there was still so much opportunity on, on, on mobile. And so you made the shift to mobile, but... One of the core tenets of, of your company has always been this this culture, this sort of upside down culture that, that you've had, the organizational structure. And you've had a belief that having small and independent teams is what leads to the highest quality work. And that stood, you know, even before it sounds like you made this move to mobile. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think the biggest difference between us and, and, and sort of the more traditionally run companies is that in a traditional company, the vision and, and ultimately all of the decisions are, are made by the leadership and, and I guess ultimately by the CEO and you know that the assumption there is that, that the companies do that because the leadership team and the leaders are the ones who, who know the best and, and you know they make the right calls and, and, and you know they have the right vision but like from the very early day, days of Supercell they sort of questioned these assumptions and, and, and they just don't believe that anyone has a crystal ball in, in this world and it's just impossible to know what the consumers want, and and actually we believe that the best decisions are made by the game developers themselves, because obviously those are the people who are closest to the product, which is games, and they're also closest to the consumer, which is of course the players of those games. So we, we just believe that, uh, that not only is it more motivating for the best creative people to work in this type of environment where they are in a total control of their own destiny and, and their game's destiny. But it also results actually in a better decisions. Also, it, it results in a much quicker execution. Sure. And I think this is sort of best brought to life with examples. Do you have any examples of, of games that you've launched that you know maybe you didn't believe in early on and the team did? And you know, if you had that flip structure where you were in charge, you may have missed an opportunity. 
Oh, sure. I mean, actually, there's many examples. So, uh, and it's actually easy to like just begin by just stating like the two of the most recent games that they've released. Uh, so, uh, Boom Beach, uh, which was our game number three, and then Class Royale, that was our game number four. I mean, both of those two games, they faced like very strong internal opposition. In, in fact, I think I remember a meeting. Uh, about the Boom Beach game there, I think we had all the leaders of the game teams, plus myself in a room, talking about the game. And and we had like 10 people in the room, and out of those 10 people, 9 wanted to kill that game. <laughs> and the only guy who didn't want to kill that game was the lead of Boom Beach, because they still believed in the game. Uh, and and uh, I, I remember we had this discussion at the time, like uh, within that group, but okay, now clearly we are at a crossroads. And, and there's two different paths we can take. And the f- first path is the one that nine out of ten of us, you know, think is the right one, which is, you know, just to kill this game and, and then do something else. And, you know, that might actually be the right business decision. But if we now do that decision, then at the same time, we, we basically kill our culture, which is all about these, like, small and independent teams, because we couldn't possibly say that our teams are independent if we make this call. So, in other words, like if you really truly are, if you truly think long term, you shouldn't care about what's the short term business decision. You should care what's the right for the long term. And that is, of course, to sustain the culture that you so much believe in. And, and therefore, we decided that no, you know, the, the team can do what they want. And, and, and you know, I, I, and I to, come to quote, I, I think Jess Bezos uses this term sometimes that. That, you know, it's important to be able to disagree and commit. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess we did exactly that at that time. And, and, you know, the funny thing is that the exact same thing happened in the case of Clash Royale in the early days. So, I mean, there was very few people in the very early days of that game in the company who believed in, in that game. And that seems to be actually, like, uh, true about, like, a lot of the, like, the, the, the most radical innovation that happens in the market. But I mean, what seems to be common about all of these like very innovate, innovative and products that be, that later on become hits is is that most people, because we are so radical and so new, most people don't really get them er, early on, and and you know only like later on then they get to more mature stage. I'm trying to think of the extreme. So let's say that you give a lot of power to the teams themselves and, and the game leads. Let's say you spend you know a year working on a title, and it's not quite right, but you've spent a year of your time as a game lead on a title. It seems impossible to me to admit that it's the right decision to kill a title after a year of development, blood, sweat, and tears. So how do you actually get the teams to stay honest, given you've given them so much control and, and so much power, to ultimately make the right decision that's best for the company? Well, I think, it, it, again, it, we come back to the culture. So we talk about our culture, that it's a combination of independence and responsibility. And, and you know, independence sort of is the kind of fun thing to talk about. I mean, everybody wants to do their own thing. But but responsibility is, is the kind of the other side of the same coin, and that's what kind of keeps it in balance. And, and you know, how we define responsibility is that, that you know, these teams aren't responsible for me, for example, as a CEO. They are responsible for everybody at Supercell. And I, I think it is like this very strong sense of responsibility that keeps keeps it in all, all together. And, and, and you know, like we, we want to hire 
people and we want to put together teams that always think like super self first and, and what's best for the for the company and uh and you know we are just so lucky to have all of these amazing people who do exactly that so you've launched four titles in 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 seven years since since you launched do you ever worry just given the ratio there and all these titles have been incredibly successful but do you ever worry that you created too high of a bar where you, know, you might have a, a pretty decent title that you could launch that could still be good for the company from a financial standpoint and, and you know, could be a long game that will be around for many years. Do you ever worry that the bar you've created is, is too high internally? Is that something you, you get concerned about? Well, we, actually, we talk about it quite, quite a bit because, of course, the one way that we could uh, kind of screw this up is that, we, that the bar is so high that you know, it somehow paralyzes us or it, it makes us afraid to release titles. And one way to, to, to describe it would also be that it makes us... A, like arrogant, like too arrogant to release a kind of a title, uh, and and uh, and I, I, but I like the kind of the conclusion that you come to is that that in an ideal world we should just forget all the previous titles we've done and all the previous success and you know just work as we've always worked, and and you know just try to f- not think about the results. I mean, just totally let go of the outcome and just trying to focus on your everyday work. Try to build the best possible game you can. And when you ship it, and then you see what the results look like, and and and, and uh, in in the beta test markets, and and you know if they, they they look promising, and 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 yes, the bar is high because we want to keep the company small, and we don't want to become this company who releases tens of games. So so, so from that point of view, I, I'm sure the bar like will keep on being very high. And you said one thing there that was to sort of remove yourself from the financial outcomes, and you have investors. And maybe they're long term, but you still have investors, and, and you have a responsibility to continue to launch titles that helps the company grow over time. Help me understand a little bit about the tension that you might have there, and how you manage that. Is it picking investors who have that long term view, or investors that may not put pressure on you, or is it something else? No, I, I think it is. It is exactly that. So I think in every single case there we've raised money, or 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 have a you know like picked up a new new partner, we've been very very direct and honest what the company is about and you know supercell is about our very unique culture and very, our very unique way of uh, uh operating and and you know we've been very clear all the time that you know, if you don't like uh, buy into this culture and the way we can think about things then you shouldn't be a part of it i mean and and you know we've uh, again like we've been just very lucky to kind of find investors like like who have believed in this, and, and they've also believed it not only in the good times, but also in the, the harder times. And uh, one thing I was just, you mentioned in the past, is that when you do kill titles, you do celebrate failure with champagne. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, well, it, it's this whole tradition like started as a kind of internal joke, like when they killed our first title in, let's see, it was in uh, 2000 and, and uh, Early 2012, I believe. Uh, it was our first mobile title that they ended up killing. And, 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 and by the way, when they kill titles, like it's not me who makes the, the call to kill it. It's always the team's decision. But, uh, but anyway, like we had this game team who uh, had decided, their, decided to kill their game. And, and you know, back then, they were a really small company. I think like around like 35 people or so. And... And, and then we were having lunch, and, and the lead of the team told me that, hey, they're going to like uh, organize a quick kind of post-mortem session to share all the learnings uh, about this uh, kill title to everybody at the company. And, and of course, like 
I mean, failing isn't fun. It 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 just isn't fun. And you you know used maybe six to twelve months to a game, and it, it's it's your baby, and and you love it, and you're very proud of it. But then it turns out that it doesn't work out, and and not that many consumers love it, and and you have to kill it. We aren't really uh, celebrating the failure itself, but the what we want to celebrate are all of those learnings that come come from those those failures. And you've noted this, you know, here and there. You've given up a lot of control to the rest of the team, and you've actually quoted yourself as being the industry's least powerful CEO, which to me is is really interesting positioning. Why do you why do you say that? And I know you're you're giving um, you know power to the rest of the team, but have you found that to be helpful? Has it hurt you in any way? Just positioning yourself like that, and and what do you see as your role at the company uh, in terms of your day to day and what you spend your time on? I, I use that phrase to describe the kind of how I think ideally Supercell should work, and I'm I'm, I'm not sure if I if I'm yet the industry's least powerful CEO, but that certainly is the goal. And then, and the reason why I want to get there is, but because like what I mean by that is that the I'm like I think I'm happiest when our game teams make like most of the decisions. So the more decisions the teams or the cells make, and the less I make, the better it is, I think, for the company because that means that the decisions are made closest to the game, closest to the consumer. And, and you know we also make these very fast decisions because the teams are uh, are making them on their own. So I would be afraid that if it's me who's making these calls, then it all of a sudden the responsibility of those decisions shifts from a team to myself, and I I, I don't want that to happen. So in an ideal world, you know uh, teams would make all the decisions, and that would then in turn make me the least powerful CEO, and that's why I use that phrase, and that's, that certainly is, is the goal of mine. I want to just uh, spend a little bit of time talking about your international strategy. It, it seems like Supercell has always had a core competency around international, and, and maybe it's just given, I don't know if it's a Helsinki or a Finland thing, but um, I, I'm curious, what lessons do you have for other founders that are thinking about launching internationally? What lessons do you have around that being a strategy in the near term versus the long term? Well, actually, like that type of thinking, it's, it comes very naturally Like when you come from Helsinki and, and Finland. I mean, we are a very small country and, and a very distant country from your point of view. And, and, and you know, there really isn't such an option uh, than, than to like, focus on Finland or, or in the ne- neighboring countries. I mean, these markets are simply too small. So the only viable strategy actually is to, to, to go global from day one. That I, by the way, that is something that I, I do think is an advantage for for people uh, for companies who come from these smaller countries because naturally, you know, you just think global from day one, and and that's I, I think has always been the case, and that probably is the case with almost every single uh, startup that I know that that comes from from this place of the of the world. So I actually, and I understand like what, if you come from a big market like say US or or, or say China. You know, then maybe your local market is so big that it just makes sense to first focus on that and then think about the international later on. And so you were successful launching into a couple markets that are known as, quote-unquote, the great graveyard for Western gaming companies and, and IP in general, and that's Japan and also Korea, and you mentioned China. What are what are some lessons that you can share just around your successful launch into those markets? It's not easy to do, but I think Supercell is regarded as the case study of how to do it very well. Well, I think that probably the, one of the best uh, 
advices that we've ever gotten uh, about like uh, expanding to those markets is that while of course all of these markets are very very different to what we are used to but at the, and, and it, it is important to provide local service to, to kind of local consumers that is very important but at the same time like you shouldn't try to kind of compete with the local companies by trying to be more local than they are. Somebody just told me, me, me like very early on that, you know, like never, never kind of uh, change the soul of your product or your game. I mean, your game, it is what, what it is and, and, you know, like be proud of it. And instead of thinking about it as a disadvantage or weakness, you know, think it as like source of strength. I mean, that, that is what ultimately makes it different. So I, I think our approach in, in all of these like uh, pretty big Eastern markets like China, Korea, Japan has been to like really like stay true to what the game is, is about in its heart or in its soul, but then like localize everything around it and, and do the best possible job at that and really like uh, take care of every single detail, like no matter how, how small. So we, 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 we do put a lot of effort in making sure that the, the game, like all oh, the texts are localized, of course, all the marketing feels local uh, and and of course while while, while it's important to like uh, of course maintain the supercell brand when we market the ga- our games and maintain the game brand but they sort of want to provide the the local consumers kind of a local like a flavor of that brand so to speak you know we obviously we provide great customer service in their local language and we do all of these things that are local but but maybe the, the thing that we had done differently but we are still like very proud of where we come from and, and you know that but the game is different and, and and as i said we try to think about that as an advantage rather than disadvantage it's so impressive to to be able to do all this and still have a company that's only 250 employees and you know it it's uh there's a lot of other companies out there that have been in the gaming space that have you know, blown up to, you know, 1,000, 2,000 plus employees, but it's incredibly impressive. So if you were to start a gaming company today uh, versus 2011 when, when you started it at the beginning of the, the shift to mobile, CPI's acquisition costs are much higher than they've ever been. Distribution is much tougher. What advice would you have to new gaming developers that are starting a company? Or another way to ask it is if you were to build Supercell from scratch today, what would you do? A few things. One, I would try to put together the best possible team um, as we did with Supercell. Then two, I would try to build something that is something very different, something that doesn't exist in the market. So do not look in the current charts or, or do, I mean, don't look in the rear view mirror. Like don't look and think what has worked before. Rather try to think ahead and, you know, just be bold and take risks and, and, and you know, build something that no one has built before. What's been the hardest thing about managing Supercell through hypergrowth? You went through you know, a number of phases of hypergrowth, but what has been the hardest thing about just managing that growth? I think the hardest thing about managing that growth has been to like uh, keeping and staying true to your core values and, and, and our core values, which like for us, one of those most important values was that we try to keep the company as small as possible and, and we keep our culture of, of, of the kind of independence and, and, and responsibility and that's a very different way of working uh, and, and then also like trying to stay focused during that hyper hyper growth phase so we you know and in our case it me- meant that we had to be like 100% focused 
on the games because we think we are a games company first and, and, and foremost. So and, and games is our DNA. So rather than like getting too excited about all the other opportunities that kind of uh, all of a sudden like uh, kind of came around, like we just being focused on, on trying to create the best possible game experience for, for our players. And we hear a lot about SoftBank in the news today, but you know, SoftBank was one of your investors a number of years ago, and now Tencent. Can you just talk about how it's been to work with both of those? firms and, and your relationship with them well it's, it's it's been great like in in both cases and you know what's common about both of these companies as partners is that you know they they really trust the people that they invest into and and in both of those cases like why we kind of took them on board in the first place was that they they uh, really believe in our vision and in and but more than anything they believe in the culture and and and, and they also like they're very open to before the deal that you know the most important thing for us in this deal is going to be that we will remain independent uh, and, uh, and and you know that was very true with SoftBank and, and it's been very true with Tencent as well so you know like they understand the value of our culture and, and that, how important it is for us to feel that we are completely independent uh, and, and and at the same time of course what's been great uh, about Tencent especially because they obviously are a, a big games company as well, but if we ever need an advice or second opinion on something or help on, on anything, they are always very like eager to eager to give it. And where do you see Supercell in, in five to ten years, and what are your broader goals for the company? If you think about like why we kind of founded Supercell in the first place, so one way to describe that was that we wanted Supercell um, to be the, kind of the best place for the best game teams and best people to build the best games, and and you know that really is the the what I everything that I think about. I mean, I, I think about like how how do we like uh, how how do we get to that goal, uh, and and uh, and how do we get even better teams inside Supercell? Uh, how do we make the environment even better for them so that they can like focus on on creating the most best possible games, and and you know that 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 really is like what. What I'm personally focused on, and, and then I just believe that if 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 we manage to do that as a company, and and then obviously like if we continue to be also lucky as we've been so far, uh, then we have a chance to kind of get to our kind of ultimate goal, which is to, as I said, we want to create these games that people would play for years and years and years, and and essentially like games that would be remembered forever and that would become part of the the history of games and maybe even like. A, you know, like history of the pop culture in in a in a broader sense, uh, and of course it's still a very very long way to kind of get there. But you know that's what I, what, what that's that, that's that's what I like kind of dream of, and I I definitely dream of the like day like as I said like the company that I've always looked up to is is Nintendo. So I grew up playing their games. I remember when I was a very young kid, I was playing Super Mario, and and then you know like uh, say last week I was playing. Uh, Mario Kart thing with my kids, uh, like tens of years of uh, decades and decades later, and you know, like, like, wouldn't it be cool if, if we from Supercell could release those types of games that you know somebody would playing a form of Clash of Clans, for example, like in twenty years time. So that would be great. No, it's been impressive the longevity on these titles and and the brand that you've built and the amazing company that you've put together and. I think we uh, we wish you the best as you continue to, to grow this business. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Parsa. Really enjoyed it. 
Thank you for listening to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. You can learn more about us on IVP.com or join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting at IVP.